going to read God's Word uh, now from the, uh, the book of Acts. You might like to, uh, to turn to it or, um, or just follow along as I tell the story. Um, so as Eleanor said, Stephen was one of the seven men uh, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, uh, wise and of good repute, appointed to uh, look after the daily distribution of food um, uh, in the, the passage we had previously. Uh, and we pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. For they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? Now there, there comes quite a long speech from Stephen, uh, which Eleanor sort of summarised very nicely um, in the kids' talk. I hope you are paying attention, but um, just to recap, I'm just going to summarise that to save time. So... Um, so the land, Stephen talks about how the land was promised to Abraham's descendants. Um, and the story of jo goes on to the story of Joseph. Uh, he was rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery. And yet it was through Joseph uh, that God's people were saved. Uh, he goes on to tell of Moses, uh, a man beautiful in God's sight and mighty in words and deeds. But the Israelites did not understand that God was saving them by Moses' hands. Uh, so Moses was sent into exile by his uh, brothers. Um, and while he was in exile, God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. And he tells Moses that he will deliver his people and he is sending Moses back to Egypt. Stephen says, this Moses whom the Israelites rejected, God sent as a ruler and redeemer. So Moses led them out of Egypt through the desert, doing all sorts of miracles along the way. And Moses prophesied that one day God would send another prophet like him. Uh, and despite the fact that Moses spoke with the angel of God at Mount Sinai and received living words to give to God's people, God's people rejected him and rejected God. In their hearts they turned back to Egypt they worshipped the golden calf. They worshipped other gods. Stephen then goes on to address the subject of the temple, saying that their forefathers didn't have a temple. They lived in a. They worshipped God through the tabernacle, the tent, which was made according to instructions given to Moses by God. It was not until David's son Solomon that the temple was built, and yet he said, "God does not live in houses built by humans." 
Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. What kind of a house could people build for him? And we pick up the passage again in verse 51, uh, where Eleanor picked it up, uh, where Stephen turns to attack uh, the council directly. And he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so did you. Which of, your, of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You, who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. everyone uh, my name's Josh if I haven't met you yet uh, I want to know have you ever had a moment where you don't know someone where someone is you don't really know what they're doing and it's a little bit worrying I, I grew up with a couple of dogs Max and Rosie I've got a photo of them uh, they're pretty cute uh, but they're also a little bit crazy uh, my dad was a, a worked at our school and uh, that's a photo of them how cute um, my dad worked at our school and uh, we were at an agricultural school, so we had a bunch of land, had a bit of property and I went to go there on the weekend for you know, some reason one time and so dad came, the dogs came, I came and uh, we kind of separated, they went somewhere else and I, I went to the Oval because you know, that's the only fun part of school uh, and after a little while I just kind of thought, yeah, where are they, what are they doing, I've got to go find them and uh, walking around the school I heard some noises, oh, what's going on? Uh, I got a little bit closer and I saw chicken feathers on the ground. What's going on? Our, our dogs had got in and killed half of the school's chickens. It, was, uh, it wasn't great. I didn't really know where they were and it was, uh, it was a big worry. Have you had a moment where you kind of were wondering, where is someone? What, what are they doing? And it, it was a little bit worrying. Maybe, uh, maybe you feel a little bit way, uh, that way with your boss, right? Uh, you don't even know if they really exist. They're just kind of in their office and maybe they're doing stuff, but you don't really know what it is. And if they are doing stuff, well, it's probably got nothing to do with you. I wonder if you've ever felt a little bit like that when it comes to God. Uh, you might think, is God even there? Is he even doing anything? If he is doing something, surely he doesn't really have anything to do with me, does it? The question this passage raises for us this morning is, is God there and what is he really doing? Is God really there and what is he really doing? And this passage wants to tell us that God is there and it tells us exactly what he's doing, and it's something specifically to do with you. 
So it's great that you're here this morning. Is God really there and what is he doing? And we're going to see three things. God empowers regular people. He reaches out in love and he's on a mission to make Jesus known to the world. Is God really there and what is he doing? So let's, let's have a look at the first section. Point one, God empowers regular people. We, uh, we start by meeting this guy, Stephen. We met him last week, a couple of verses earlier, chapter 6, verse 5. And uh, as Tom said, he's one of seven guys who were chosen to uh, distribute food to the widows in the early church. Uh, he's a regular guy. Uh, he's not one of the apostles. Uh, but in this section, we, we come to learn it's clear that he is someone empowered by God. He was chosen to serve tables, but now we see verse 8. He's full of grace and power, and he's able to do great signs and wonders. A regular guy doing amazing things. Uh, And not only that, he speaks powerfully from God. Some of the Jewish leaders, they're arguing with Stephen, verse 10, uh, and we're told they could not withstand the wisdom and spirit with which he was speaking. He's speaking powerfully from God. Uh, And then verse 15, we get this weird detail that his face was like the face of an angel. Uh, it's not just saying that he's got a really attractive face, like maybe you've described Kurt's face if you go through his uh, Facebook photos. Uh, I've been given permission now that I can look at worse photos for him, so look forward to that next time. Uh, this is actually a sign that God is with him. You, you often see it with someone who's encountered God. So you get Moses, he's been up at Mount Sinai and he's met with God and his face shines before people. God is with and has empowered Stephen. Then we see verse 11, that false witnesses are brought against Stephen. And Stephen, he actually gets accused of the same things, exactly the same things that Jesus is accused of. He's charged with speaking against the temple and speaking against the law. Now, they are two very touchy subjects because they're the pillars of Judaism. Uh, And the next 50 verses is Stephen's speech as he responds to these two charges against the temple and the law. So how does Stephen respond to these charges? What does he do as someone who's empowered by God? Well, he testifies about what their relationship with God has really been like, the Jewish leaders. Stephen starts as this defendant who's kind of on trial against the council. But as he speaks, he he starts to turn the tables and he actually becomes the prosecutor speaking against the Jewish leaders. Uh, He answers the charges against the temple and the law, but he does it in a way that actually points to his bigger picture, the actually bigger point that he wants to say in his speech. And that is, he wants to tell the personal history of the people in front of him and show them how God has constantly reached out to them in love, but they have constantly rejected him. God has reached out in love, but they have rejected him. Uh, We're going to look at this uh, this speech in kind of three parts, and each time it's really the same point, But each section, he kind of ratchets up the intensity of God's love reaching out and their rejection of him. God is reaching out in love, but the people reject him. So let's have a look at the first section of Stephen's speech. And he starts by talking about Abraham. Abraham is the Jew's original ancestor. Uh, And he makes a bunch of points about God initiating and reaching out to them in love. So we'll just go through a couple of them. Uh, Verse 2, God's glory appeared to Abraham. Verse 3, God promises Abraham a land to inherit. Verse 5, he promises Abraham a a big family, even though he doesn't have a child. Verse 7, he promises that one day God will rescue their people, Abraham's family, out of slavery so that they can worship God. Verse 8, God makes a covenant with Abraham, promising that these things will happen and that they will be his people. 
It's amazing. God didn't need to do any of these things. He wanted to. God is initiating and reaching out in love. How do the people respond? Well, we get the first hint of their response in verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, that is, Joseph was God's chosen man at the time, they sold him into slavery. God has reached out in love, but the people rejected him by rejecting his man, Moses. It's not a great start. But you go, well, maybe it's not too bad, right? You know, who hasn't thought about selling their youngest brother into slavery at some point, am I right? <laughs> so Stephen kind of moves on to the next bit of history, and we're kind of waiting to see what happens. Uh, verse 20 to 43, he talks about Moses, and he starts to ratchet up the intensity a little bit. Uh, God reaches out in an even greater way, but the people reject him in an even worse way. So uh, some time's passed, uh, and the Israelites, that is Abraham's descendants, are now slaves in Egypt. In verse 20, we see God raises up this guy, Moses, to rescue the people. But kind of from the start, Moses stuffs it up a little bit. In verse 24, he kills someone in trying to rescue one of his brothers. And we see the response, verse 27, the people reject Moses. Who made you a ruler and judge over us? It's not going so well. In verse 30, God ratchets up his initiative and he appears to Moses in the burning bush, like right in front of him, flames and everything. God is there. It's incredible. And he goes out and sends Moses to save the people from slavery. And then we get verse 35. This Moses they rejected. So God goes further and he rescues the people out of Egypt through his own mighty works. He, he brings them to, to Mount Sinai and gives them the law his words directly to them about how they can be in relationship with him. It's this massive moment. God has saved them and is reaching out to them, showing them how to be in relationship with him. What do you think happens next? We get verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law. Uh, this is the law that they're accusing Stephen of changing. The law which says, don't have any other gods before me and don't worship idols. And as Moses comes down the mountain with this law, they're already rejecting God. Right? Moses comes down with the law and he's saying, guys, I've got it. You know, God's law, it's amazing. You should hear it. I want to tell you about it. And they say, Moses, can you say that a bit louder? We're just, I just can't hear you over this gold smelting machine I'm trying to use to make this golden calf. You should come worship it instead of God. It's great. You go, come on, guys. They've accused Stephen of changing the law, but it's the law that they've never obeyed themselves. That's the point of the quote from Isaiah in verse 42. God sent them into exile because they constantly rejected him. Stephen is putting the people on trial. Then Stephen moves on to one last piece of their history, showing even more their rejection and really their misunderstanding of God. From verse 44, Stephen lays the smackdown on the Jewish leaders and accuses them of trying to control God and completely misunderstanding the temple. See, uh, part of God's initiative back with Moses was telling him to build a tent. Uh, and this tent was to be the symbol of God dwelling with his people. Uh, and that tent would move around and go with them wherever they went because God was with them. Now, what was the father's response to the tent once they got into the promised land? Well, through David, they asked to build God a permanent building, one where God would stay. God said no, but he said, your son Solomon can build one. Now, I want to ask, was that the right thing to do? 
do you think? No. It was actually an expression of sin. See, the temple, it wasn't God's initiative. It was man's. Now, that is a crazy idea for the Jews to wrap their heads around. God never said that he wanted a temple to replace the tent. Uh, We get that quote in verse 9, Isaiah um, says that God doesn't live in buildings. He's above everything. In fact, the whole earth is just like a place for God to rest his feet on. Uh, A building can't contain or hold God in. In fact, the tent is actually a better structure to represent God dwelling with his people because it moves around, it goes where they go. The temple was at one level a rejection of what God said about himself and it was an attempt to contain God and box him in. Now, David's son, the king, would ultimately come to be God's temple. Not his son, Solomon, but his son, Jesus. And so then finally, we come to the climax of Stephen's speech, and uh, he's given the people in front of him a a very personal history of the story between them and God from God's perspective. But now he stops talking about history and speaks directly to the council, and he says this, verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, who you have now betrayed and murdered. God has always pursued you. He's initiated and reached out to you in love but you've constantly rejected him. And most significantly, you killed Jesus, the righteous one. What would it be like to hear that, do you think? Would your heart just sink? Would you get that feeling in your stomach where you just feel sick? Would you get angry? And would you think, how dare you talk to me like that? We'll see the Jewish leaders 2,000 years ago, they aren't the only people whose personal story is one of God reaching out and him being rejected. That's actually our story. We've all got our own story. We all have our own story of personally rejecting God when he reaches out. If, uh, if Stephen was telling me my story from God's perspective, it would go a little bit of something like this. Uh, you went to Sunday school and you heard all about me. You went to scripture when you were in primary school. You went to youth group. You have Christian grandparents who told you all about me but you never listened. The biggest thing I did is I sent my son into the world to live and die for you, and you've completely ignored him. We've all got our own story. What's your story like? We've all rejected God as he reaches out to us in love. You might feel like God's not really there, or maybe you think he is there, but you're not really sure what he's doing. God has reached out to you in love. You might not know it, but he has. And the biggest, best and clearest way he's done that is sending Jesus into the world to die for you. And God is reaching out to you today. You're hearing God's word right now because he wants you to hear it. Don't resist him. This might be your first time here, or maybe you've been coming here for ages, but you know that you've been keeping God at a distance, resisting him. You might be doing verse 51 right now, sitting here resisting the Holy Spirit, not wanting to listen or engage with God. 
if that's you, it's great that you're here this morning, but you need to realise how big of a problem that is. Now, there's some things that you can reject that don't have a whole lot of consequences. I, I once rejected an invitation to, to stay there night, uh, an extra night at a friend's house, and uh, I missed uh, a camel giving birth, and I missed being able to help in giving a camel uh, you know, a, a birth. And it would have been a pretty cool story, right? But the consequences of rejecting that invitation are you know, not that high. But for other things, the consequences of rejection are far bigger and what I want to say is the consequences of rejecting God are the biggest consequences that exist. It has eternal consequences. Because when we reject God, we reject everything that he offers us and everything that belongs to him. See, only God can offer us eternal life in relationship with him, in a place where there's no more suffering or crying or pain. Only God can forgive our sins. Only God can give us life that truly satisfies and has meaning, the life God made us for. And so when we reject God, we reject his offer of life, of eternal right relationship with him. Instead of forgiveness and instead of life, we face death and judgment. The consequences are massive. They couldn't be higher. It's truly a massive problem. If you're rejecting God, you need to know how big of a problem that is because you can't resist him forever. One day you'll stand before him in judgment and the criteria won't be, have you done enough good things? Because the answer for all of us is no. The criteria will be, did you accept or reject my son who I gave for you in love? If this is you, please stick around. Come and find out more. Come back to church next week. Come back to its 10 years plus one week celebration. Come along to our Easter services that are coming up. The consequences are too big not to check it out more. If you're someone who already follows Jesus, that is awesome. The response for you is to marvel and give thanks because your personal story used to be about rejection and love, but now it's about life and forgiveness. You no longer have uncircumcised hearts like Stephen was talking about in verse 51. I know that's a pretty weird thing to say, right? I don't know if we've got any doctors in the room, but I'm pretty sure it's not possible to circumcise a heart. What's he talking about? What he's saying is, circumcision is the sign and covenant of belonging to God completely. But for the Jewish leaders, that covenant hasn't affected their hearts towards God at all. But if you follow Jesus... You can marvel and give thanks because God has done something amazing in your heart. And it comes from a promise that he made a few thousand years ago. Have a look at these words from Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The story of Israel rejecting God was to do with the fact that they didn't have hearts that loved or obeyed God. But God promised that one day he would put his spirit in people and give them a new heart so they can love and obey God. And we saw that moment just a few weeks ago uh, as we looked at Acts chapter 2. 
And so that now every person who accepts and trusts in Jesus, you have a new heart and you're able to accept and love God. It's incredible. It's not because we're great or we did anything ourselves. It's because God is great and he did everything for us. And so if you follow Jesus, just take a moment to to sit back and marvel and give thanks to God that he's the God of the universe and we're nothing, yet he sought you out. He's given you a new heart and that changes everything for you. Just, just, Just take a second now and just think about it. It's amazing. Thanks, God. But that's not the only response to have if you follow Jesus because reaching out to us individually isn't the only thing God's doing in the world. Uh, Have a look at the last section. Verse verse 54 to 60, we see God is on a mission to see Jesus witnessed to the world. Uh, At the end of Stephen's speech, the council are filled with rage and they stone Stephen to death. Uh, And at that moment, Stephen sees Jesus Uh, And he tells the people that Jesus is the Son of Man, that is, the ruler of the universe who was promised way back in Daniel 7. Stephen recognises that Jesus is the Lord. He's the one who's in control, even in this moment, in a moment that feels completely out of control. What could Jesus possibly be doing in this moment? Like, How is he in control in this situation? Well, you see, this is the moment that begins to fulfill the promise of what Jesus made way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Have a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan is for the good news about him to spread from Jerusalem out to the rest of the world. And so when we come back to our passage, what do we see happen as a a response to this horrible event? We'll have a look at the next verse, chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Because of this great persecution, people run out, they go away, and as they go, they take the news of Jesus with them. God uses this horrible moment as the instigator to get the good news of Jesus out of Jerusalem and start spreading it to the world. It's amazing, isn't it? God is so in control that even in this evil moment, God is using it for his good purposes. Stephen was filled with the Spirit and someone who was completely on board with God's mission, no matter the cost to himself. Like Stephen, we are not apostles. We're normal people. Like Stephen, we have the Spirit if you follow Jesus and we know that God's mission is still going. Are we on board with it? That's the consistent call of Acts, isn't it? What would it look like for you to do something this week that was on board with Jesus' mission? Actually, just take a second and think about your week. If I was really on board with Jesus' mission this week, I would... Maybe I'd do it on this day. Maybe it would involve this person. What would it be for you if you tried to make it concrete? This morning we've asked the question, is God really there and what is he doing? And what we've seen is that God empowers regular people. He is reaching out towards us in love. And he's spreading the good news of Jesus out to the world. So don't resist him. Trust him. And get on board with his mission.
Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are so good, that you are reaching out to us, that you are the God of the universe, and you would reach out to people who have rejected you over and over again. We are so sorry for living as though you don't exist, for rejecting your goodness, your kindness, and your love towards us. Thank you for sending your son. Help us to accept his death for us so we can have life. Help us to live as people who have new hearts to love and obey you. Father, we praise you that you are in control and on a mission. Please fill us with your spirit that we might go out this week and be part of the mission that you've given to us. Help us to be part of it, no matter the cost to ourselves. Father, we pray this because you are great, you are glorious and powerful, and we want the whole world to know it. Amen.